Denver Mycology started out um, as a nonprofit that was looking to serve the needs of the community and connect home growers across the nation. So how many people are, are a part of it? How does it work? How do you, do you do, you do like tutorials for home growers? What's yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the basis of how, how this all started for us was, uh, I had started doing classes around Denver mm-hmm. for mycology, like mycology one-on-one, two-two. And, uh, over the last few years, I've been feeling just on a personal level, like the, exponential increase of demand and interest in mycology and i finally got a chance to start hosting those classes started in january decided to start the the nonprofit, and uh then just about you know eight weeks later we get hit you know everybody gets hit and the first week of march we end up canceling our courses for that month and then the second week of march we ended up making um we ended up shifting away from doing a lot of the tutorials and classes that we were planning on doing for the entire year and ended up making masks out of the same filter patch material that uh, we're currently sort of innovating on for the growing environments mm-hmm. for the mushrooms. And so we, yeah, so we ended up doing this whole mask community volunteer effort. And I think that's what really built sort of that context of a community oriented, like membership based nonprofit where there's volunteers, and a lot of people helping out. Yeah, that's cool. So you took, you know, uh, a bad situation and you were able to pitch in by making masks, which everyone yep. needs nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are the mat? Are they made out of cloth or they're some kind of, uh, like hemp based mat? Like what do you, what do you use to make masks? Yeah. So they're made out of this polyester filter patch material. And it's, so it's basically just like kind of compressed, melted, you know, plastic, so to speak, but it's like done in such a way where it only limits, it limits a lot of different uh, molecules out of it, you know, so down to about three or four microns. And uh, we double layer that we would cut out, we would use a laser engraver at our own house and our compound to actually cut this stuff out of the material. Um, We have these like sheets that we would get in and before we would just cut out like big circles, right? because we would have the mushroom growing environment or we would have the jars and you would use this type of material to basically be able to uh, ensure that you can grow the mushrooms properly. Right. Like they kind of take a certain type of environment to grow in. Yeah. Um, and so with the masks, you know, I, I've never made a mask before. I don't, <laughs> I don't profess to be a, like a mask designer right. or anything, but you know, I think any endeavor takes some sort of entrepreneurial spirit, especially when you're creating on your own. And, you know, I just felt I, I was, it was an emotional couple of weeks. I think, I think everybody was, I don't know, man, the beginning of March, I think was rough for everyone. And yeah. my, my first signal of how bad it was going to be other than um, I come from a hard science background. So I had people actually sending me models and stuff for this, but was when the NBA closed its doors. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that was like March 11th, I think, or something like that. You're so, a big basketball fan? I'm not a big basketball fan. I mean, you know, I grew up in the 90s, so like, yeah, like I'm the you Bulls. know Bulls fan and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was around, I was around during that, and uh, and I'm not like huge in sports because I'm such a workaholic, yeah. but um, it's hard to see. I mean, you watch, you watch a you know trillion dollar industry yeah. just say, nope. You know, we're we're setting this one out. Did you watch the? Just on a side note, did you watch the Last Dance uh, documentary? Yeah, yeah, it was really good, right? 
Yeah, I thought that was super dope. And um, I think just having like those behind the scenes looks and like actually getting that like whole feel of what was going on for like the coaches and the owners and the managers and everything um getting pip inside of things yeah. i thought was really cool but yeah yeah it was like really well done um so mycology is a study of fungi right so sure. are you just studying psychedelic mushrooms are you studying mu- mushrooms across the board are you studying all sorts of mushrooms <laughs> Well, it's hard to, uh, it's hard, you know, once you get into one sort of variety of them, if you really do love it, it's really hard to like not get engrossed by the rest of it. Um, because there's so many other mushrooms that grow in such unique ways and have like such unique properties above and beyond psilocybin containing ones. However, you know, that I, I keep getting pulled further and further into like the gourmet medicinals as well. So, so all of them. And how did you get nonprofit status? That was that a, pro, a process the five hundred one three to for something yeah. that's um, you know for for a new emerging uh, field really because it's becoming decriminalized in a lot of places, but still pretty much in its nascency, like pretty early on still. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 5013C or 51 c 3 status, it can be granted to nearly anything that professes that they're meeting some sort of uh, societal need through education and community support. So um, that's, that's all, you know, that's what we applied for. And at that time when I was applying for it, that was really, I mean, we're still doing that, but I was planning on doing like three or four classes a month, like doing a bunch of festivals. I had probably 60 or 70 dates set up for us already. And that's why it was like so traumatizing. I just sat there when the whole world sort of just like started going down. And I was like, well, uh, (laughs) we really got to shift gears. Like there's another market here. We can be helpful. Let's make the masks. And, uh, you know, that, that took us those like two months. So that's where the nonprofit status kind of really, I mean, we're still waiting on the official, we're actually still waiting on the official like hear back from them. We just got some documents from them and um, they're going to be, it takes like six to 12 months, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So you'll apply for it in January and not hear back till December, you know? Psilocybin was decriminalized in Denver last year. Yep. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are the laws there? I mean, people could grow them on their own. They can grow their own mushrooms. Is it just for medicinal purposes? How does it work? Kind of. Uh, it's literally like the, one of the first things I go over when we go through the classes. And that's the other thing too, is that like with our position in the industry, you know, my main thing is education across the board. I'm not really trying to get people to do something that's going to compromise themselves. And with the decriminalization laws, whether it's going to be here, Oakland, Santa Cruz, um, I believe Portland's on their way to do so. Cybersys 30 in DC is going to have it on the ballot this year. And they're very vague. Almost every single one basically is just like, this is the lowest priority for our law enforcement to sort of re to enforce this. Now, with that being said, it's completely arbitrary and ambiguous. You know, there's no regulations, there's no laws, there's no, um, Oh, you can have three grams or four grams or five grams. It's, it literally is just like, basically don't make it a problem for us. And now you guys are under the spotlight. Do you think that that's intentional? So if they wanted to arrest somebody, they can because it's so vague or do you think, um, why, why do you think they just didn't get into sort of the, the details or the particulars of, 
Yeah, I mean, this happened with hemp and marijuana too. And so at the end of the day, it's sort of like we, we take what we can get. And unfortunately, the one of the main organizations that's been pushing for this is decriminalized nature. And, you know, the people who are running that, there is a little bit of self-interest. And uh, some of these people actually kind of write some of these policies and write some of the, the decriminalization sort of policy of how it's going to uh, enact like long term uh, to potentially help their own interests in like some of the industries that they're looking into as far as like, especially with the, the therapeutic aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't get into it too much because some of it's like personal with some of the people in there, but um, I guess what I bring that up because there's another organization in California called Decrim CA and uh, not everybody may real under like really understand that there's a separation where there's decriminalized nature, which is the main organization that has been traveling around the U.S. uh, really pushing for decriminalization. Now, DCRIM-CA is doing similar things and mostly focusing on California, but where they differ is that they're also pushing for record expungement. They're pushing for commerce laws around it, basically saying, oh, you know, if you are if you are selling or if you want to engage in selling within two years or something like that, then we're going to give you some sort of legal framework to fall back on. Decriminalized nature and decriminalized the, the decriminalization laws that are currently out right now are, they don't do, they literally don't do anything. I mean, it's sort of like, I don't even know what else to compare it to. It, it's just, it looks good, but it doesn't actually do much. Yeah. It's so weird. It's the same with uh, marijuana, right? Because it's basically legal in in many places. And um, they're talking, I think this week or sometime soon, the House is going to vote on on either a decriminalization or a legalization bill. But there are still people that have charges, marijuana charges, you know, um, that haven't been wiped out and, um, you know, maybe are still in prison for marijuana charges. Yeah. And uh, there's so much to get into on that side of things as well. When you start talking about like how those laws have been handed out over the years and who they've targeted more, you know, like there's there's just certain aspects and marginalized aspects of our population that um, have gotten hurt more by those laws. And then now we are legalizing it in many of these cities in these states. And yet it's still not legal at a federal level and they can still come and raid your farm. If you're, you know, breaking one of their many, many, many laws around cultivating. And, uh, it's basically utilized from a state level to get taxes, you know, and to get money from this industry, but it's not really for the people or for the medicine, you know, I mean, they don't, they don't really care. They don't really care about like why people are doing it or what they're doing until it sort of infringes upon something that they're doing from a federal government standpoint. Yeah. I think that's one thing that's definitely getting a light shot, uh, like, kind of in the spotlight right now is the racial disparities. Maybe that's always been, but I think so lately of the uh, amount of um, primarily black and African American uh, and Hispanic people that have been arrested for um, marijuana and, and um, how those communities have been hit. And also the, the licensing policy for people that want to open their own dispensaries um, and how, you know, maybe people of color should be, um, 
receive priority to get licenses to do that um, so they could have an equal hand in that business. And then also you had mentioned hemp, like how weird that is that people that grow hemp, if they're a little bit up over the THC um, yep. limit, they, they'll burn their crop. They'll just burn the whole crop. Um, and it's just such weird law, like, you know, and they're still trying to figuring it out, like doing THC testing and seeing how much, um, I forget what the, the, the limit is in a lot of places, but yeah, if it's like slightly over, they could even get arrested. Yeah, they can get arrested. And then that's also opened up a huge sort of black market, uh, around the different, like the sprayed hemp and the, the, the mixed products and stuff like that. People cutting, uh, marijuana with, the hemp, you know, that has really low percentages of THC. And like, I actually, I'm really glad you're bringing this up because one of the major reasons that we did start this as a nonprofit and also something that is attempting to be a source of change and uh, a source of credibility and accountability um, as this industry grows is being able to say, hey, like if you have questions about something that you're getting, if you have an interest in like learning more about like is your does your product that you're going to have actually have psilocybin in it come talk to us you know and that's something that we're working towards you know potentially as like an industry leader here in the next 10 to uh, five to 10 years is just being able to one do like potency testing doing strain verification for people and then also just upholding the standards and giving people the education they need to be able to like have effective conversations around psilocybin containing mushrooms especially where do you see that market going? People expect that market to explode, the psilocybin yeah. uh, market. And, you know, it, it was decriminalized in Oakland and Santa Cruz. Um, and you had mentioned Washington, D.C. is going to vote on decriminalization um, in November. Um, so and Oregon as well. Right. I believe um, psilocybin assisted therapy in Oregon. Yeah. Um, so it, it just seems like it's it's going to take off. Um, where do you see that headed? Yeah. I mean, just to give you a perspective here, I've never done Instagram in my entire life. I've actually like never really given it too much thought. My background, I got my degree in physics and then I get a degree in neuroscience and biology and kind of just would always stick to myself. And this time around, I was like, you know, like this is something I'm extremely passionate about and I'm going to try to do videos every day or something related to mushrooms. And I started that in January, had no followers. Right. And I think I'm, this isn't something I really give two craps about, but just it's when we're talking about markets and growth and exponential growth, I think I went from zero to like six to 800 by April. And then from 800 to almost 10,000 in since April in the last five months. Yeah, it's something that people are really interested in. Um, they also um, maybe there's uh, what you're helping with is is spreading some knowledge about it because maybe people are interested in it, but they don't know, you know, much about it, what the effects of it, uh, how to grow it, or or things of that nature. Yeah, so so you're really providing that information. Yeah. And also having a public face for it too. Right. And like, I think I'm probably one of the only organizations out there that is so, you know, front facing with this. And, um, I think like some of that's just like, there's just a need for radical transparency in my opinion, and people need to be able to feel comfortable enough to, to one, I, my main goal here is to, 
is like the sow the seed, right? Like to provide the information and to provide it in a way that people feel comfortable investigating the cultivation aspect of it. Now, while along that line, if maybe you're like, I don't want to start cultivation, you might just see that, oh, wow, there's all these people interested in it. There's people posting about microdosing and there's a lot of information here about like, this might help with my anxiety or just like normal life stuff. And having a very approachable community um, that does normalize this, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, just being able to actually like have that space be opened up and hopefully my goal would be to have more people cultivating on a mass scale than there ever was like cultivating marijuana. And I just, with that sort of, you know, with an organization on the back end, being able to actually support that and keep them accountable as well. Can you talk about what you are, the services you offer? I know you do like video tutorials um, and there's different membership tiers. Uh, there's the uh, Cosmic Voyeur, Cosmic Seeker, Cosmic Seeker Plus. Can you talk about what those are and like the services you offer and some of the products you offer as well? Yeah. So uh, with Denver Mycology, one of the first products that we began offering was a tub, like a little, like if you can imagine like at your house, like those little storage totes that you would get, uh, some of them have like little gasket liners and you'll get them to maybe like, you know, store your shoes or something in, uh, that's what we use to grow mushrooms in. And so you, these ones that, uh, I've been using a lot of lately are like 48 quart tubs. Uh, they have some holes drilled around the sides, uh, that's to allow for gas exchange and air exchange for the mushrooms as they're growing. And so we offer full kits to be able to actually grow your own mushrooms at your house, um, as well as membership programs where people can get genetics, um, a vast array of genetics. We have upwards of 40 or 50 different varieties uh, that we work with. And um, that will come in the form of like sports syringes, spore prints, um, you know, whatever we have on hand to be able to just give people what they need to be able to uh, grow their own mushrooms. Now, this is one of those things where like, if, you, if I get you started right and you follow all the different, um, you know, sort of the steps for everything that you need to do, you may never need me again. You may never need anything from our organization again to keep it going either. So, um, when you say genetics, you mean different types of mushrooms, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the way that we propagate our grows, like, Imagine this, if you just got your tomato plant at home, you get the seeds, you grow the tomato plant, and at some point that tomato plant dies, and you're like, well, like hopefully you either saved one of the tomatoes and took some seeds out of it, or you have to go back to the store and get some more seeds, mm -hmm. right? And then you have to start the whole grow process over. Now with mushrooms, they grow and they colonize in a few different steps. And so with the genetics, uh, what I'm referring to is just the the different spores, which is like the seeds of the mushroom or mycelium, which is uh, going to be on like a slant uh, tube with a gar in it or an agar plate, like a Petri dish with a gar in it. And it grows across that agar. And uh, then sometimes they come in syringes as well so that you can inoculate some sort of substrate. Right. And then grow them like you would like tomatoes or something, putting the seeds in there, letting them go through the growth cycle and then hopefully being trained enough to be able to propagate it yourself after that. Uh, so I'm sorry, what is agar? Because that's one of the things you offer, right? Agar dishes? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, agar plates. So agar, it's agar, agar, or agar, agar. There's going to be a million people out here that probably tell me that I'm not saying it right. <laughs> um, but 
it's from seaweed. It's like, it's just like, have you ever heard of something called kerosenium? Uh, no, I have not. No. So these are just uh, very like gelatin like, like if you use gelatin to make jello, almost the same thing, except this isn't made from animal byproducts. Okay. And it's a little bit more firmer. Like when you get gummies, they're usually not made from agar because if you bite into it, they just like slice from top to bottom and there's no chew to it, you know? So this is for it, the seeds to grow in. It's a, it's almost like a dirt or. Uh, uh, it's like a jello. So it's you easier. take the agar yeah. and then you mix it with. Um, you kind of have three main ingredients uh, when you're making plates, like nutrient-rich media for the mushrooms to grow on. And you're going to need a sugar. You're going to need some sort of carb or fiber source, and uh, you're going to need something to hold it all together, which is the agar. So imagine making like really hard jello in a small little petri dish like you would like to like study bacteria or something on and you're just making it so that it's like really firm but it has some nutrients in it so when you inoculate that meaning that you like i think a term we might all be more familiar with is like insemination yeah, <laughs> do you yeah. know what that means sure, yeah sure. so so you're doing a similar thing except you're you're inoculating it you're taking some mycelium Say, say you had a mushroom and you went to, to natural groceries or sprouts or something. If you got a mushroom from there, you could cut that mushroom open, take a little graft of the inside of that mushroom, put it on one of these agar plates that I'm talking about, and then it'll grow out. If, if it grows on that sort of media, but a lot of them will, you know? The science of it is so interesting because I always was under the impression that mushrooms just grew in cow shit. That was always what I yeah. thought. But it's interesting that the process of, of growing them at home and what goes into it. Yeah, well, and it's really cool because this is something that like it's so it's it's comparatively difficult as like growing hemp or marijuana, I guess. Um, but it's so much more uh, discreet. You can have it in this tub, you can put it in your closet and it can look like you're just storing your shoes in your closet. Like you would never know that someone's growing mushrooms. They don't have any smell. You don't have to have obnoxious amounts of light. You barely actually have to have any light at all. Um, and from the science aspect of them being able to grow, you know, there's really just a few main, um, criteria for them to actually be able to grow. And that's going to be uh, at the beginning, a very sterile environment when you're working with these tubs, uh, very high humidity um, inside these tubs. So you hydrate the substrate that you put in these tubs where they're going to grow for the entirety of their life. And then you're mixing something that you've inoculated the mycelium with. So have you ever seen those like bags or jars that people have been selling for mushrooms i I looked up some videos just online yeah just to see kind of how it works i i still it's still a mystery to me but i i have a vague idea of what you're talking about right so you just have like if you saw this and if, if anyone who's listening looks this up and you look up like a grain bag or a grain jar spawn jar and spawn is like the the movie s-p-a-w-n right. uh it's less scary though <laughs> and a lot less violent uh from beginning to end and uh you look at this and it just looks like a bunch of grain. Well, it's because it is. It's usually just like rye berries, uh, whole oats. Uh, you might have, what else? We use bird seed. You can basically use almost anything that like, you, you could use like quinoa, like anything that has like a whole bunch of carbs that's gonna break down to glucose, you're usually good to use. And what about the seed? I mean, the 
because there's actual seeds that you need, right? What's the process of getting those those seeds or spore? Are they seeds or spores or am I confusing the terms? Okay. Spores, um, yeah. And so, but is the process of obtaining those more difficult? Do you have to go to various sources to get those spores? How do you obtain those? Well, there's actually even states out here. I think New Jersey might be one of them. I know California is another. Uh, I'd have to, it might even be Nevada. There's quite a few states out there that actually don't even allow you to sell spores, right? But the majority, I think it's like 46 or 47 of the states do allow you to import or like have spores sent to you. And those are obtained. Now, when this mushroom grows, now we were talking before, right? So we got the tub you've you've thrown in that grain jar that's been inoculated previously like with that agar that we were talking about somehow you're getting mycelium in in front in in that jar or bag and then it turns all white and it's growing in there but it can't fruit because it's so 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 um it's a lot of high humidity but it's also really really high in co2 because you have it in this enclosed space and now you need to take that move it into this tub mix it with something that holds a lot of water uh, so that that humidity stays up in that tub also. And then when they grow, it's going to be in a low CO2 environment when they actually start like shooting up and then they have these caps that they grow out. And when those caps spread out, they'll drop spores usually. And so if this was happening in nature, they're trying to make sure that they propagate themselves. Right. So they're just going to pop up. Um, There's certain like pinning triggers like out in the, in the, in the wild, the mushroom wild, uh, where once they are like, okay, dope, it's time to drop our spores. And then they're going to be out. Like once they drop their spores, they, they die pretty shortly after. Um, and will end up usually getting decomposed or eaten by something. If they're one that animals can eat and then the spores drop down, they're usually black, but they can be a range of colors. They can be purple, golden, uh, clear, if you have the white mushrooms, like albino mushrooms, a lot of times they're like clear. So it looks like they don't drop anything. And, um, yeah. So those spores, I'll, I'll capture those like on my end, like I'll just cut the cap off before they drop all their spores inside the tub and then I'll take it over, put it on some tinfoil. And then if you leave it overnight, it'll just drop them on that tinfoil and then you can take the cap off and then you got a bunch of mushroom seeds or spores, you know, that you can use to inoculate something in the future. How long do you think this whole process takes or how long About does it months. take from, from the beginning of getting all the ingredients and everything to the final product? It's about two, two to three months. Yeah. And I mean, you've been doing it for a while. Would you say that though it's, it's would be tough for somebody who's just starting out to do this? Is it, is no. it, uh, do you need any prior knowledge or can you look all this stuff up and obtain what you need? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what's been happening for years. And that's where just giving you a little bit of context here, um, you know, we've been, many of us who've been in this community have been just on forums, right? It's like either Reddit or Shroomery. There's a few other types of websites online where this has been happening in forums since uh, like the late 80s early 90s where this was happening a lot like in people's houses you know i mean it's happened before this too but like by and large from a like a mass appeal standpoint um the popularity of this industry has been growing since the 90s and um this was all happening just on forums there wasn't really like 
people like me doing videos or even a bunch of YouTube necessarily. It was just like, can you find the right information? Can you make friends with somebody on one of these forums? And maybe they'll send you some extra stuff that you can't find anywhere else, you know? And now we're getting to a place. And I think anybody understands this, that when stuff that used to be black gray market is starting to hit like the mass, the masses, you know, it's just a whole nother animal. You, you, the, everything changes. Like you have to start meeting people where they're at. Like you have to be nicer to people. A lot of people in the mycology industry, unfortunately, man, like there's some nice people out there, but there's a lot of ego. It's a lot of those guys who just sit at home on their computer, you know, like would never be in front of a camera like I am and just want to be dicks to people because they know so much about mushrooms, you know? And, um, Yeah. So as far as like being able to get started on your own, it's getting easier and easier. And that's one of the biggest things that I've been focused on since May is being able to like, Hey, like I want to have a conversation with you. You know, I want to know a little bit about like why mushrooms are important to you, how this started for you and where you see yourself in the future. And if we vibe and like, you know, if I feel like you're here for the right reasons, then I'll help you get started. Yeah, that's that's interesting that these people have big egos. I thought mushroom was spo- the mushrooms were supposed to sort of diminish the ego to some degree, but it, it seems like it had the adverse effect in, in that in those cases. You had talked about different color spores. I mean, yeah. does that create different potency or different uh, trips for people? The different spores is it almost like sativa and indica and marijuana? Like you can get different highs, or some are more powerful than others, or. Uh, yeah. So this is where everything is at right now. You know, I mean, this is, we're right at the infancy of being able to do potency testing. A lot of the potency testing that people are doing is on, I'll get a little scientific here, um, is on the expression levels of the substrates. Okay. And, and meaning that inside this mushroom, in order for it to produce psilocin and psilocybin, it also has to produce things called biocystin and norbiocystin. Okay. okay. And so you usually, the easiest way to be testing for things like potency right now is to be testing for how much of the, the precursor, like those biocystin and norbiocystin, is it producing? It's easier to test for those than it is to test for psilocybin directly with like home lab or like not so high financial means to do that. And so, um, to get to your point, do, is there varying levels of potency across the different strains or varieties out there? Yes. And do, do people have varying levels of trips based on the, that potency? Yes. Now, with that being said, can these experiences, are these experiences a product of the person or are they a product of the of the medicine or drug? What do you think? Um, well, I've done mushrooms if, uh, definitely uh, uh, probably like a dozen times. Uh, I've taken some that I've eaten a considerable amount and I didn't feel the high as much, but they had a different look to them. They were like had a skinnier base and like just like a cap. They look like more like a traditional mushroom. And then yeah. some that look more like a... Um, that were like thicker and those seem to be more powerful, but I don't know if those are different types of mushrooms or different. I don't know if that was in my head necessarily. Um, cause I feel like I was, it was actually in a relatively short time frame. So it wasn't like I had, I had changed dramatically as a person or anything or 
um, I had different things going on in my life. It was kind of like a similar time period for me. So it seemed like the, the actual mushroom itself was, was maybe the consistency of the mushroom was different. Sure. So, uh, so with that being said, then there's obviously like anecdotal experiences, like what you're experience, what you're talking about right there, where you're like, well, maybe the size of the mushroom has something to do with the experience I'm getting, um, you know, that I'm getting out of this. Okay. Like that's potent. That is absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. And not only that, uh, just to talk more about like those dynamics is that you can have um, varying levels of potency between flushes of the same mushroom, you know, like in that get that will get into more of the cultivation aspect, but you don't just have one flush like the flush is uh, the term that's used to talk about when all the mushrooms start growing, and they start growing in unison and, and in clusters. And so they'll all pop up when the high CO2 and high humidity environment in there is, is proper, they start popping up and they, they get these little primordia and these little balls where you start looking you're like, Oh wow. Like that looks like it might be a mushroom. Well, cool. Cause they look like little white little pumpkins or something. And then mm. once you start introducing a little fresh air and you start letting that CO2 filter out, and that's why you have the holes on the side often with like filter patches and stuff, then, then what you're allowing is for there to be less CO2 and more oxygen. And so now the mushrooms, uh, which per- use oxygen to produce CO2, um, can grow even more, right? And um, those mushrooms that you had that were uh, skinnier and the other ones were fatter, one reason might be that some of those mushrooms might have been uh, fruited in colder environments. Colder environments, uh, when you're fruiting between like 68 and 74 degrees, sometimes you can get uh, hardier and meatier mushrooms that potentially may be more potent. Now, the reason why I can't really give you a solid answer on some of this stuff is that you really need to be able to test all this stuff like uh, from a scientific standpoint. And I say that because the experience that you're getting from these mushrooms is twofold, right? We have a door and the door is to that experience and it's inside of us. And the mushroom acts like a key. Okay. The mushroom could be the key. Meditation could be the key. A, 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 a near death experience could be the key, but it doesn't change the fact that the door is always there. So when we're talking about this, whether it's the mushroom, the variance in the mushroom, or if maybe anecdotally you're not as vulnerable to the experience at that time, um, your body metabolizes it a little bit different. You know, maybe you didn't have a threshold dose to like get you to the place you needed to be at this time in your life, but that can change, you know, the more familiar you become with the experience. So, uh, it's kind of a long winded way of just saying that it's like, there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a a really big conversation that can be had around what that experience actually is, what it can be, and like how much agency we can have around our relationship with that experience with or without mushrooms. So you're under, if I just could understand what you're saying, so you think psilocybin is psilocybin, but it, it really depends on your state of mind that ultimately will affect your trip? Is that accurate to say, to paraphrase what you're saying or, or no? In, in some ways, yeah. There's other acting, you know, just the four, uh, the four constituent parts that we know most about right now are biocystin, norbiocystin, psilocin, and psilocybin. And all four of those are working together, including probably other molecules inside the mushroom to, to facilitate that experience for you. Now, like, again, with that being said, it it's uh, – 
it can be your state of mind. Absolutely. It could be your own body's physiology and it can be your own relationship and like vulnerability to entering that space. Like I, if you've never had this experience before, none of this is going to make much sense. And the only thing I can really compare it to then I guess is, um, flow states, right? Flow states for, for, uh, athletes, um, people who work out a lot, uh, even people who go on like crazy adventures and rides and stuff like that. Your contrast of experience at the very beginning of say the first time you go on a road coaster, you're like, holy shit. Like that roller coaster was amazing. Mm -hmm. That was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced because you've never experienced it before. And maybe the way it sits within your own uh, scope of the world is like, wow, like I never knew that existed. Right. That will happen on mushrooms too. But then like the experience will change and your ability to do more while you're taking those mushrooms or even like be more conscientious of the fact that like, I don't know, this is, this is a big conversation to have because <laughs> we start getting into like, what is awareness, right? And like, how do we manage our own awareness every day? What is our, what is like our ability to be aware of just the physical world versus the metaphysical world? And so like the, whether we were talking about sports or the, um, the roller coaster analogy, it's just about the more time you spend with one of these things and the more open you are to just like exploring the experience for what it is and what it can be, the more likely you might start realizing that it's not really like the mushrooms that are like the only conspirator here, you know? Does that make sense? I think so. So like the first time you do something, whether maybe have a beer or get drunk or something, it, it's like total like euphoria. But then after that, your experience kind of changes, becomes maybe more commonplace. It's not as it's different. Maybe not. Is, is that it's accurate? different? Yeah. And and that's what's cool about mushrooms is that it will rarely become necessarily more commonplace. It, it can become more commonplace, but in a way that like now um, it's like when you first buy a new car. You know, and, and now you see, okay, I bought this Mini Cooper and you're like, now I see Mini Coopers everywhere. You're like, what the fuck, man? Everyone has stupid ass Mini Coopers and now I don't want the stupid Mini Cooper because everyone has the car. And now I realize too, Mini Coopers are stupid. I didn't even know why I bought this. And, and however, though, that can happen with mushrooms where you're just like, whoa, like when I took that mushroom and I realized for the very first time that I had more to this experience, more to more ability to experience reality in its many forms. Then it, once that door opens, uh, at least for some people, you might start noticing that like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain because once you get to a place where you just understand that this is a product of our bodies, right? Like if that door is always there, then how big is the lock? How, like how, I don't know. I mean, maybe the lock chain, maybe you don't need a lock anymore. You know, what do Buddhist monks experience when they move into really deep levels of meditation, you know? Um, and that's where you could be having any experience. I think this is a good way. It's kind of a paradox too, but it's like, you could be having any experience. You take those mushrooms, but you're having that one. You could be having any experience, but you're having that one, you know? And so you just have to, uh, one, understand that whatever's coming up is very important just for you. And the more you do it, 
sometimes the less you have to do even, you know, you might start tripping just by taking half a gram or a gram and be able to like breathe your way into it and to like really fall into the experience more just on your own without taking a whole bunch of the dose. Hmm. And you think there's other ways you could tap into that consciousness or reality such as meditation and is that what are you connecting to is it like activating the pineal gland or what what part of your brain is is like lighting up when this happens yeah definitely i mean you're one when you're doing these mushrooms in general you're looking at a mass scale event inside your brain and that's where you're having um, a whole bunch of networks from both sides of your corpus callosum sort of become engaged in your air, like the, the oxygen flow, the blood flow inside your brain increases and your body's ability to process information increases. And that's from a whole body standpoint. A lot of this isn't just limited to the brain, right? So mushrooms uh, act with a 5-HT2A receptor and that's serotonin. Now, 90% of your serotonin is actually produced in your gut in your enteric nervous system. That's your second brain. That is a place where it, you know, if you start getting into more of the yoga stuff and all that, it's a lot of like centers for safety, grounding, and your sort of attachment to what physical reality is. And now when people talk about this, like often this intense nausea or maybe stomach pains or this like interaction with the mushrooms that's like man like that was so hard like it's like i it's like my body didn't want to leave you know and i'm like yeah that that that's just as good as the explanation as just a physical explanation where you're like oh well i'm putting poison in my body yeah you are you are you are but you you if that's all you think this is then what the fuck is that experience that you're having you know it's not just poison it's not just a physical physiological uh response and there's the potential to look into what that nausea is and what those like what other physical responses that you have to this as potentially being emotional related like other things that are kind of coming up and becoming signals for like information that needs to be processed right so i know this is like getting it's kind of getting a little deep but at the end of the day um there's another pra- practice. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, Stanislav Groth. I haven't, no. So he does a practice called uh, holotropic breathwork. And he was one of the very first scientists that actually was testing LSD uh, in the Czech Republic. So he was one of the very first scientists to actually utilize uh, and test LSD when it was being passed around as just a chemical number, right? And then he came to... Uh, the United States and started working, I believe it was for Johns Hopkins. And he started doing all these different tests for, uh, for on actual people with LSD. And once that actually got, once that ended, he transitioned into doing something called holotropic breathwork. And this was something that he figured out as far as uh, being able to elicit uh, a hallucinogenic experience through just breathing. And this is done over the course of about three or four hours. You have someone sitting with you while you, while you yourself have like a, a whatever you call it, like an eye shade. Yeah, yeah. Like you wear the sleep yeah, or something. Yeah, something covering your eyes. And uh, you just start out with this like, <sighs> you just like really loud kind of big breaths. And then they have music that's accompanying it. And you do this over the course of like three hours and the, the music sort of rises and falls over these three hours. And um, 
people have like fully disassociated hallucinogenic experiences that you might expect to see on mushrooms or LSD uh, just through um, modulating their own physiology. So is it almost like sensory deprivation in a sense? Because you're you're, but you have the music, I guess. So not, but will sensory deprivation take you to a similar place? Well, I think yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're getting to right now is is a really really important um, distinction, right? We need to be looking at this at, from a really practical standpoint and say, well, why is it? that you can have this like really out of this world disassociative experience if you're putting your body or your mind under these conditions. Well, like sensory deprivation is a really good example because what are you doing? You're limiting your body's need to pay attention to the external world. Now, what does that awareness do? Now, all of a sudden, you don't have all these extra stimuluses or stimuli or whatever it is, and you're now just left with like, oh, do I just sit here in darkness? Or have I become familiar with another space out there, you know, and just another potential capacity of what my human body can do in accessing what some of these people will do, will cause like transpersonal psychology or the collective unconscious and understanding that, that if no information and no energy is ever created nor, or is never destroyed, you know, like from a physics standpoint and that like the laws of thermodynamics exist then like information and experience might operate in the same ways you know and so everything that's ever happened in our human lives and our human uh, consciousness and any sort of information that's ever been written down any experience that's ever been had has been stored still somewhere right like it's just still exists out there in the ether and um, that's obviously especially true for experiences in life that's going on right now now uh, that this is one potential explanation for why when you start limiting your awareness externally and you stop start limiting your body's need to um, take stimulus take input from your surroundings, then that awareness gets to do other things. You have a greater capacity now to do other things. Um, so yes, when you do sensory deprivation or you do something like ketamine, then then it, it can take you to a place where like, this is where I was, this is why I started it and asking you if you think that the hallucinogenic experience is a product of the mushrooms or if it's just a product of our own capacities, you know? And I think time and time again, there's been a lot of um, modalities out there that have shown that it's a product of who we are and the mushrooms or anything else that you're taking is just a, a tool facilitation. So th these states you can get to with mushrooms. Instead, like you're talking about focusing on breathing. You know, the, the ingesting this mushroom can take you to a similar place just by eating it, in a sense, which kind of would help with depression and anxiety. You know, if for people that maybe are not familiar with these breathing techniques or don't have the time to do these breathing techniques, and is that why there's so much interest in it as a as a treatment for depression and anxiety? Well, there's it's definitely a big conversation there. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of ways to meet people where they're at with this, right? Like understanding that some people are just looking for um, some relief every day, you know? And so having that conversation that, about spirituality, all that stuff isn't very useful. They just want to know, like, is this going to help me fucking get through my day? And yeah. I'm like, okay, dope. Yeah. Let's start there. And, um, from just a pragmatic standpoint, 
when you're microdosing, like you could do all the way down to hundred milligrams, 0.1 grams, um, up to like 0.5 to 0.75 grams. Um, and you're taking, you're taking mushrooms, micro or macro dose, and it's allowing your body to just have more space to work a little bit differently. Um, there's so many things in life that allow us to have contrast to our experience and to have, uh, to add to our scope. And, uh, there, that's why there's so many different things that can be therapeutic because we can start to see ourselves from more of a mountaintop view. We can see our problems as being smaller. We can allow for whatever that energy is or whatever that thing that's sort of like keeping us in these loops and these like anxiety loops and these depression loops in these like habitual things that we do that we hate that we do. Well, mushrooms, when you're taking them from a, from a medicinal standpoint, you're allowing your, your nervous system to have a little bit more space, meaning that it's, it's going to upregulate stuff called like neuroplasticity. It's going to allow for new pathways to be made. And when all those, uh, when all that circulation sort of increases and you have greater oxygen and more blood flow, then, you know, that's, that's our lifeblood. Like literally that's like how we turn on these other circuits that go, Hey, I'm the circuit over here that says, stop being a fucking idiot, you know, but he's not on because you just use the stop the idiot, the fucking idiot path every day, but you don't actually turn on the stop being the fucking idiot path, you know? And, and, it, it, it's as simple as that. It's just like sometimes even on microdosing or macrodose, you might find yourself crying for fucking hours, laughing for hours, whatever. Why? Right. The important question is why, why do I have that experience? You're expressing, you're resolving, you're allowing that whatever's been fucking stuck up in your body, man, for years, because you never dealt with it to come out. You know, if you were hit, if you were hurt, if you were like, whatever, traumatized as a child, the stuff doesn't just, just, you don't just get to like say, oh, I don't get to deal with that. I got, I fucking promise you, man. I, I grew up in foster homes. I had a, you know, not, not the best of childhoods and uh, I'm still dealing and I see it. Like, that's why, like, this is a, a long-term process. The more you do mushrooms, the more you have conversations that, help you open your mind up to like what these things could be doing for you, then the more agency you have with dealing with your own shit, you know, and you can use these mushrooms to help you do that to like take you out of your, your day to day mentality and like have a better perspective about everything. So it, it kind of makes you face your, your what's troubling you maybe buried deep down head on it, it kind of puts you face to face with it in some in some instances right it can it can and, it, and that's where it's like a lot of people when i would have this conversation with them like but what if i just want to have fun and i'm like well then that's what will happen man that's okay this isn't like all about just crying about your problems like yeah. this is not what this is about but what i'm saying is is that if that stuff does start happening then just take fucking notice, man. Like, just like understand that it, that's okay. Like, dude, like you don't want to be carrying that stuff around your whole life, you know? So like, sometimes you might go into this experience and think, Oh, like I'm going to have this great time and mushrooms are just fun and games. And I'm going to see Mario and just do dumb shit. And then I can like continue being an idiot tomorrow. Right. Yeah. You, that may be the case. And you may have like, you, you could probably pull that off, but sometimes that's not what mushrooms will want you know, and like, it's not always up to you what the experience is going to be about, you know, and that's why 
it's always my um, suggestion that you go into this with an intention and then you just say, Hey, like I'm totally cool with whatever comes up. And if I need to cry or scream or run around my house naked, like that's what the, that's what the hell I'm going to do, you know, and just allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Right. Like, just like, it's a whip. Some people don't like that word, but it's just like being open, open to it, you know? Which is hard for a lot of people that are generally want to be in control of their daily life. You kind of have to let go of that a little bit Uh, or a lot, (laughs) depending on your situation. But it's really like you're saying in your mind, kind of your state of mind and and what comes up is is sort of the direction that you'll go in, in in this experience. Right. And, you know, we just have to think about this like this is this is like this time in our life right now is very similar to be being between 2003 and 2008 uh for the marijuana boom okay that's what's been building in the last five years it's the same sort of time period as far as where we're sitting from an economic standpoint where the market's gonna go i can tell you the stuff i won't even talk about here but like on the back end of things of people who are approaching me and like just all these people who want to get in on this i can tell you it's that It's 1 million percent that and there's a lot of money coming in and there's a lot of people who are just going to be coming into this from the perspective of like, oh, cool. Look at this cool product. Right. Okay. Well, what do you like? Let me ask you this. Like, what do you think is a problem with that mentality with this specific thing that may not have been a problem with any other product that's come to market? Well, I, I think one thing that's really changed since I was growing up is the perception of mushrooms where as if you got caught with mushrooms when you were a kid or there was really looked down upon, you got a felony charge for mushrooms. Um, but it was also considered like a party kind of thing, you know, like, Oh, we'll, we'll get, we'll take mushrooms, play video games or something like that, you know, um, or go see a crazy movie or like, but now it's taking on this, um, it, people are looking at it more as like you were talking about, like sort of a mystical, like getting in tune with, with spirituality and getting in tune with um, who you are as a person and this consciousness that maybe people haven't been able to tap into in their lives because of all the stimulus stimuli um, that, that occurs on a daily basis. But I, I think the, the problem, to get back to your question of viewing it as a product, is that viewing it in that way as a as a product and not a, as a spiritual gateway as you're talking about it might be it might be um, diminished in what it could do right yeah so I think that's yeah that's exactly right um, one big issue is context and scope is people is treating this like an economic good like a commodity or something that is just consumable fine market dynamics in some ways will work very similarly. You know, you, any market, anything you market a certain way in a capitalist society is going to act similarly because that's, you're literally like forcing it to, cause, cause that's what we're trained to do is to treat it like a consumable item and all that stuff, you know, fine. But the problem is, is that this is one of the very first times in, in any sort of human um, context that we are giving people maybe their very first choice and very first chance at feeling something they've never felt before ever. Like literally the people who never wanted to go on the freaking roller coasters, who didn't want to go to social gatherings, who didn't want to do anything outside their comfort zone might have an opportunity to rip that freaking comfort zone straight out of the water. You know what I mean? Like just like, and what happens 
when these people who are being marketed to by big companies like Coca-Cola puts in their stupid fucking Coke Mushroom Zero or some bullshit that comes out, and then who's liable? Like, I mean, after at, this isn't CBD, you guys. This is not. This is not CBD. This is nothing that we've ever seen before. What do you do when these people start like asking questions about what the experience meant or why? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much more to yeah. this experience, I and think, so much more to field. Yeah, that that is a, a caveat that I didn't really think of. Well, I I thought about, but you make a great point in articulating is where how because we live in a capitalist society so that's the direction that it's ultimately going to go into um you know if it when it becomes broadly accepted and and legalized um so but also you want it you want people to have access to it and you want people to to use it for benefits like depression treatment and to have these spiritual experiences so in your opinion or your view what is the best way to move forward um, to, to kind of like, you know, the best balance between those two things. Um, one, because of how our country is, there's absolutely no way that we're ever going to come to a consensus about federal like mandates or any sort of national regulations or rules around this, right? Like that, let's just like understand that this is going to go state by state and that that's just how it's going to be. So I'm not going to really speak in platitudes about like what our country could have done differently or anything. So I'm going to deal with it as it is and how it's probably going to roll out. Now, with that being said, um, with where we're at, with I think how it's already going to go from a state by state standpoint, where some states have assisted therapy, where they go more clinical route, where there's more policies and more legalities around it only being used from a therapeutic standpoint people who are getting an appointments, people who are working with facilitators who are approved by a certain board, all that, right? That's already happening. And then we're also going to have states that are probably going to go the way Colorado, I'm assuming is probably going to go more commerce related, you know, like where it's going to be about, well, you can grow this much, you can sell this much. Uh, and beyond that, if you, you know, they might be legalities around what else you can do with it if you want to do therapeutic practices and stuff. So with those two being the main models, I think the best way that we can keep proceeding is that if you give, if you at, at all care about this and you want other people to be able to understand more about it is that we have to keep going grassroots. We have to understand that there's going to be so many gaps to fill that there needs to be more nonprofit organizations like mine. There needs to be more community engagement. There needs to be more uh, just base level education from a community standpoint. And we can't leave this up to states and the government to, to do it the right way. They have never done anything the right way. They have never done anything in a way that like was well thought out. <laughs> Um, and so that's not going to change this time around. Uh, the only thing that has been probably a lot more well thought out and is going, is going to probably hit our, our society in a very controlled format is MDMA. I think you were just talking about this with maps and Rick Doblin. I've met Rick Doblin, um, at Esalen during a psychedelics conference and it's a very intimate thing. So him and David Presty, David Presty is on the board of the psychedelic, um, I think it's at Berkeley. Yeah. They just started a psychedelic center for, you know, psychedelics and just start studying them. So I met David Presty and Rick, Rick Doblin at the psychedelics and medicine conference at Esalen. It was a very small group of people and their whole process is one of the best models for how something could be 
really tested, 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 uh, you know, put through clinical trials, you know, and, and also understanding that this is a full, this is full therapy. This is like two to three weeks of therapy and then they do MDMA. Like, you know, like, yeah. So they're kind so of leading they, up to it and they're, they're kind of t- telling you what you can experience and taking down your thoughts and information before you go on the experience is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a whole, it's the whole therapeutic process. Like there's more of the introduction. There's more of the onboarding. There's more of like people just getting into a place where like, this isn't just going to be a recreational experience. Like we know why we're here. We know why we're doing this and we know that what we're trying to uh, address you know, I mean, we have to really understand that this world of like psychedelics and brain science and consciousness is so wide open. Like we, we are nowhere clear, close being experts in any of this. Like no, none, none of the scientists, none of the organizations are. And um, the human experience is, is like the ocean, right? Like we've explored like very small percentage of it. And, um, just like if you walked into a dojo and you wanted to learn karate or Muay Thai or whatever, you know, that you're going to get your fucking ass kicked by somebody who's been doing it for a long time. There's no doubt. It doesn't matter how good of a street fighter you were. It has no bearing. You will still get your ass whooped. Right. And we have to understand that psychedelics and the exploration of psychedelics and our understanding of them operates in a very similar fashion. Do you, uh, differentiate between because MDMA is a synthetic. It's mm-hmm. uh, do you di- differentiate between that and psilocybin, which is a natural occurring um, substance? I mean, do you put them in different categories? You know, uh, at the end of the day, like just for example, another one that is good to bring up there is ketamine because ketamine is already being used for uh, like psychedelic uh, therapy. And not everybody has psychedelic experiences on MDMA or ketamine, right? Like sometimes people are just like, "Wow, it was very weird. Uh, I couldn't move." And what's well, is it? A that tranquil- was fucked up. It's a tranquilizer, right? Ultimately, is it a tranquilizer, ketamine? The dis- it is. It is, but it's a disassociative okay. too. And so, just it's it's just like so is heroin, I guess. But with ketamine. Oh man. Ketamine is one of the most like effective, very impressive and effective drugs that I've ever tried. And, um, again, this is why, this is what I mean by like familiarity with the psychedelic space and the metaphysical space is that once you start putting more of these puzzle pieces together, you might take some of these other drugs. And because you already have opened up some of these doors and you're a little bit more familiar with this space, Right. Again, like the dojo, like, you know, that when you walk in and you can just feel the air differently next to you. And that's because the guy's moving his arm and you know to move your arm up. Right. Like it's that type of that type of like relationship, you know, of, of becoming more of an explorer in this realm that you might do mushrooms for your first time or LSD. And you're like, wow, like that was really crazy. And then when you do ketamine or something else that wasn't hallucinogenic for you before now becomes hallucinogenic because now you are a little bit more aware of like what that space is. And like, you don't have any um, blocks up when you go down that tunnel because ketamine. Yeah. It was never hallucinogenic for me when I was younger and I would do with MDMA and I'd go to raves and stuff like that. And then now that I've really given a lot of time and sort of uh, respect to the mushroom experience, I've 
did ketamine recently and I was like, Oh my God, like that extremely psychedelic, extremely like, like it's like if salvia was a, actually a good experience, you'd be doing ketamine because salvia is terrible, but ketamine is dope. And from a therapeutic standpoint, again, it just comes into just being able to like open up those doors and have greater contrast in your experience, I think. So you think if you can get to that place mentally, it, whether it's synthetic or a natural substance is kind of irrelevant, doesn't necessarily. No, matter. yeah. Again, these are, these are, we got to like, man, there's like such a big conversation around drugs. This country needs to be having like 50 years ago. And, well, weird because that was like Reagan's and all that bullshit. Yeah. And so like, I mean, we, we, we can look at why we know nothing and why we're terrible, terrible about talking about these things is that any substance you're putting in your body, I don't care if it's, it's synthetic or natural. It's again, this is like a little puzzle piece and we're the puzzle and it's just like going in, it's docking and it's going, Hey, check this fucking shit out. Right? Like you're just taking something in here and it's attaching to your receptors. It doesn't create new receptors. It attaches to your receptors. Now, what your body does after those receptors get engaged, and maybe it does open up some new receptors and all that type of stuff, that's fine, but that's your body doing it. Hmm. That's your body doing it. That's not the drug. It's the body. So we have to like understand that like any substance you take is illuminating a new aspect of your experience. If you took Adderall for the first time when you're in high school and you go, holy shit, I never knew I could feel so good. Right. I never knew I could think this fast and I could like fucking, I remember I took Adderall for the first time. I was like, I'm going to the airport. I'm flying a fucking plane. And then, <laughs> you know, you mentioned like Reagan and drug laws and stuff like why the draconian drug laws? Like, do you think that the government is trying to, they were afraid of these things or they were trying to prohibit us from experiencing these things because it might unleash some ability that we, you know, um, have within us, but maybe they want to occlude and make us not realize that we have, or is it just that they're afraid of us not listening to laws or what, what do you think is the, is the kind of the catalyst for these? Cause there's, it also pro prohibited research for many decades. Right? Yeah. Like what the, like it doesn't yeah. th really think about what you just said there, right? Like we, not only did we uh, say, hey, this is dangerous when even the research that we had wasn't that, wasn't that it was dangerous. Um, and then they also cut off research. Why, why do that? You, you, if you, if you're really sitting here saying, oh, I'm here to protect the populace and I'm here to put these laws in place so that people are you know what I mean more okay and like we want to make sure you're okay it's like uh what is it the precautionary principle then wouldn't you keep doing research wouldn't you sit there and like I don't know do the thing that would allow you to know whether these things are dangerous or not so in some ways you can really like answer your own question there just by people's actions uh but to get into it just a little bit um I mean there's very clear evidence that a lot of I, I sit very middle of the road. I kind of stay out of politics. It's not really my place. That's not my purpose in life um, to, you know, jump into conspiracies or to pin people against each other at all. But I will say that I think, okay, so the experiences about 
mushrooms and anything that it does that allows you to understand the interconnectedness of nature, the greater aspects of reality, like our pure essences, all that type of stuff. It's way higher level than any of the operating the bad actors that are trying to control this, right? They don't know what the fuck they're actually doing. But what I do think is happening is that they became tools of control in times that we needed to control certain populations, right? So back then, the hippies were a little out of control. And all in one fell swoop, they wanted to control the hippies. And they they have public, there's literal recordings of them saying, oh, yeah, if we, you know, if we put these policies in place, then not only can we control the hippies, we can also marginalize and, and subjugate like our inner city populations that also give us problems, you know? So I, I don't think there's, there isn't, um, it, it could have been anything. It could have been Oreos. It could have been cigarette. It could have been anything that, that at that time was like the choice to, to control people and to subjugate them, you know? So I don't think they have any understanding about it opening our minds. I don't, you know, when we talk about that, you have to then assume that they know what the fuck we're talking about. They don't know what we're talking like to say, Oh, well, they're not going to let us do mushrooms or LSD because we might overthrow the government. Mm, they, they, then you're assuming they know they you're assuming they've had those experiences and they know what you know. I don't think that's true. I think that this is a lot more to do out of fear. I don't think that some of these conspiracy theories are that founded. And I think that that's why once you start pressing on the economies and you start making things about the economic means, this is the same same reason why uh, black people ended up being able to even congregate and go inside restaurants and stuff because of interstate commerce laws. As soon as you start making things about the economies and about money and about like how and why we can benefit from one thing versus another, then they start caring. So look at the money, look at the, the, the economic influences before you're ever going to come up upon someone trying to like limit your conscious development, Mm. you know? Yeah. I, I know like Pennsylvania, I believe now wants to legalize marijuana, but primarily for, uh, fiscal reasons, you know, because, so yeah, I I think, yeah, a lot of States are looking to like, yeah, let's legalize pot because it'll help us, especially with the coronavirus and all the economic, you know, uh, shit that's going on. It'll help offset that. So yeah, I think it all boils down to dollars at the end of the day. You're probably right. Yeah, I mean, it's just like we just have to understand that like these people aren't very smart usually, you know, like they're and not very like, like, I don't know, woke, whatever you want to say, but they don't know what you know. And that's where like a lot of these conspiracy theories, I think, pop up and and try to assume that they do and that somehow that they're coming out, you know, coming to get us and stuff. And it's like, uh, no, they actually have so little scope on it that they don't know how good it is and they don't know that this is something that could really change people's lives in the way that it is because if it had changed their lives and and if it had had if they had had the experiences i had i i just i just don't think we'd be having the same conversation you know so they're looking at it from a very narrow scope um yes what do you uh, what do you think the psychedelic movement this time around you had mentioned like the the counterculture the like the 60s and the hippies but this time around what do you think the psychedelic movement has going for it that maybe what we've learned from them to to do differently this time 
I think this is a, it's the maturation phase of the psychedelic renaissance, you know? So, so we had a very immature movement in the sixties and seventies, and it was very, very short sighted. It was very much about immediate gratification. And it was very much about like, you know, giving the middle finger to the man, the man is in charge. So if you give them the middle finger, they'll just find other ways to be in charge. Trust me. They, they are, you are not in charge. They're in charge. Like, just remember that. So this time around, we know, we know who's in charge and we know the systems and we are embedded in the systems. And, you know, that's why Rick Dalbin has gone so far that he did like, and that was passed through mostly with Republican senators, the MDMA trials, everything that he's done has been spearheaded by Republicans just to let everybody know, you know, I don't really care what stripes you are, but uh, if you can find the proper way to explain things to people and to at least under, like, let them understand you can be on their side and that there's no sides really to pick here, that this is just mushrooms, man. It's just something yeah. that grows in the wild. Then this time around, I think we're better at communicating about it. I think we're better about like not giving it to our underclassmen as professors and then professing that we do that, you know, in public television and in all the newsletters. Like there is a lot of people and that Tim Leary being one of them that had the, had an idea about like of how this could go, but it's very egotistical. Like they, they didn't really move past the framework of like, I'm a spiritual guru. And that's where I think a lot of us have hopefully, and this is also always something that I'm trying to help people understand is that like, you are not a guru first off. And second, you don't know anything, you know, this is a lifetime, lifetime event, exploration event. And if you start taking mushrooms, it may make you feel like, you know, everything, it may make you feel all those things. And that's just one more thing you get to process because you don't know anything more than anyone else, you know, like you're just having an experience. And, um, I think this time around, it's a little bit less ego driven and a little bit more about how can we change the laws and the policies that are around us? How can we educate the population around us? And how can we utilize the fact that mushrooms aren't weed, man? Like, you know, like we have a huge, huge leg up here. Like there isn't really that big of a negative connotation around mushrooms. And even when there is, it's so much easier to bypass it than it was for marijuana. And part of it is because the population that utilizes this is mostly white. And yeah. So you think you think mushrooms have a clearer path to to acceptance than marijuana, really? Because marijuana yes, is always yes, viewed as like the gateway kind of like introductory drug. You know, is the demonized is that? But so you, I, I'm just surprised to hear you say that because I think in in my view, mushrooms are way more potent. And people need to be more careful yeah. with mushrooms. But I agree. Yeah, but me and you have both done that. <laughs> okay, true. Right. Think about 200 million, 200, 300 million people, you know, I mean, a very small percentage of this country has done mushrooms. So again, we have to really understand the perspective of people who are getting marketed to. Who is the person who is just hearing about this? It's already popular. It's already well, like well received in a lot of communities where people are like, oh, mushrooms, like mushrooms themselves are already a billion dollar industry, regular mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so that really leans into our favor in that this is just, look, you just go to the, the farmer's market and here's this nice guy that's just selling you really beautiful mushrooms and they're very aesthetically pleasing. They don't have the racist undertones that marijuana has, that we've been looking at marijuana even when we were young. 
and this is the dare and, and, you know, all those different programs, we've been looking at them from a lens of, Oh, that's what like black people do, huh? You know, like, or the, that's what like druggers and stone druggies and stoners and like people that we don't really want to associate with do, huh? You know, like that's why we don't want to do drugs because like if you do marijuana, then you're going to start doing all those other drugs and look at those people. Well, when we say, look at those people, who do you think they're looking at? Mm. They're looking generally at people of color or white trash or like just population systems that we're like, mm, don't want to live there. Don't want to live in trailer parks. Don't want to be like them, you know? Yeah. And we've been, in, you know, for years been, been sort of been like really been pushing that sort of narrative. And that hasn't been the case for mushrooms. So that was intentional though. Wasn't it uh Hirsch, the, the newspaper mogul, he coined marijuana as the phrase uh, to demonize it and to associate it with certain people and to give it a, a, yep. a connotation of, um, yeah, so that's, it's fucked up. It's been that whole propaganda for, for decades that it's hard to break, you know, away from that bullshit that they created, you know, this, this uh, reputation around. Yeah, yeah, it is really hard. And it also... Is just something that it's an invitation for all of us to just understand that, like, there's a lot more to know here, you know, that there's been many, many people who have already been slighted by similar systems and uh, didn't have to go that way, didn't have to go that way for marijuana or, you know, any of the other drugs i guess people have been getting you know obviously we can get into the crack and go okay all that stuff but i'm not i'm not a big proponent of using those drugs of meth or heroin or cocaine i think that uh those operate a lot more mechanically and a lot more physically and are geared towards getting you to be addicted to them whereas uh things like mushrooms aren't even marijuana is extremely addictive. And I think that's another thing that I would really wish would be a part of a bigger um, conversation and just helping people understand that like all of these things take a little bit of respect and take a little bit of a relationship with them so that you understand like how they're actually interacting with you in your life. You know, I mean, anything that's going to give you that constant um, dopamine punch marijuana, your phone, all of that operates off of dopamine, you know, by and large. And the more you do it, the more you want it, you know? You think it's addictive marijuana? Because it's a big, uh, people say, you know, that that it's not. So you're kind of (laughs) countering that. (laughs) Of course it's addictive. Any stoner, fucking A, this is, is, we need to be a lot more honest with ourselves. I, I used to make pipes for people. I used to do all that stuff. I'm not coming out and saying don't smoke marijuana i'm just saying that just under just be fucking honest with yourself dude like yes you smoke every night you want weed every day like that's addictive that's a habit that's something that you don't want to live without yes it's addictive yes it is but it's a choice you get to make and it's not heroin so at least there's that so it's the lesser of what you could be doing yeah, yeah. lesser of the evil yeah. yes but um i want to just ask you as we're wrapping up How'd you get into this? How'd you get into the, the, I know your background's in science, but where did your um, curiosity and and drive to to learn about mushrooms and teach people about mushrooms and other psychedelic substances, where did that come from? Um, That came from, so like I I told you, uh, once I got into my teen years, you know, I grew up, 
I was in Kansas for a little bit. I, my mom went to prison and I ended up in foster homes. And then once I kind of like made it out of Kansas, I was in my teen years and I had realized that there was just so much stuff and so many things I'd seen and so many things that happened to me as like a toddler that lived on the streets with his mother. Um, that was, there's just too many things that happened that I, that I know I had never processed. And it was just so hard being a teenager. It was so hard being a teenager. A lot of people didn't understand that for me. They didn't see that on me. Like I was, I was generally happy, you know, around people. A lot of people thought I was nice and whatever. And I got to a point when I was 15 that I was just like, dude, like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to make it. Like no one knows, but I just really didn't know how much longer I was going to make it because every day I woke up, and it was just so hard to be motivated or to be happy. Actually, I just didn't know that I really had any emotions. It, I, I'm trying to talk about it from that perspective because I know better now, but that back then I didn't have any context. Yeah. And I started getting interested in mushrooms because of just what people were saying about it around me. And this guy ends up dictating like this whole, it's called the PF tech to me at lunch, like every day at lunch, he would come and sit down and uh, would like dictate this psilocybin fanaticus tech, which is just this process of growing mushrooms, introductory process. And uh, I got all the directions. I tried getting all the materials together and that didn't really come together then. And then it wasn't for a couple more years till I ended up growing my own and doing my own mushrooms. And it was the absolutely the very first time in my life that I felt an authentic and true, honest emotion. And that was happiness. And that was the very first time that I realized that all the stuff I'd been seeing on other people's faces and like the experiences I knew I was missing out on became illuminated. Like I was holding it in my hands. It was like a six hour experience and by the end of it i'm just sitting on the couch with my hands over my eyes and in you know in there i could just see that i was like holding this little golden sheet of what i felt was my happiness like it was just this experience that i desperately needed and basically opened up this whole new context of my life of saying you know what like there's more to figure out here it's worth it to be alive and um you should you should keep you should keep trying you know so you really kind of got into it to help with your own emotional states that you were dealing with because of the traumatic things that had happened to you as a young person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. And, and the person that was telling you about the growing up, that was just a friend or I'm, I'm imagining I you at a, a, a lunch table. Like is, who is this mysterious <laughs> person that's... Yeah, this is, and this, we got to think about this. Like, this is what kids do. You know, this is like, I, I was seeking help. I was seeking support and I found it from people I was going to school with. And I still don't even know who he was. Like, it was just, I don't know how the situation actually occurred. I just remember that someone ends up being like, oh, I know how to grow mushrooms. And like told me, I still have the notebook uh, that I wrote it all down in. And a friend, um, a friend of yours at like the lunch table. Yeah, it was just yeah. something. It wasn't even like a friend friend. It was just like auxiliary person that kind of came through into my orbit and taught me how to grow mushrooms. And yeah, and then that one thing leads to the next. And this you'll hear the story from a lot of people is that it's not always easy to find the thing that you need, you know, especially mushrooms and everything has to be so secret. It's a schedule one drug, you guys. Like, you know, there's a guy up for 20 years in a million dollar fine right now. 
in Denver. Like wow. it's no fucking joke, dude. They mm-hmm. can just come through and and just do whatever the hell they want you want with you. And that's what I mean with these decriminalization laws is that they don't mean shit. Like they mean as much they they mean they mean more from a public per- perception standpoint than they do from a practical on the ground day to day standpoint. You know, like the, there's no policies or legalities around it. It's just that like here we're decriminalized. We're one step closer, and it's more like a half step. Um, yeah, so yeah, so like taking that time, learning how to grow, and then. Uh, that led me through years of uh, dosing on and off, uh, helping other people grow mushrooms. It, it really started as, as a way for you to, to help with your own uh, issues that you were going yeah. through. And I think that's a, a reason that a lot of people are looking to, to yes. experiment with it. So it's something that, that means a lot to you uh, to kind of yeah. share that knowledge and ha- have them also well, see benefits from yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what, when it's a, when it's a choice between like this young kid deciding to either like keep living or not keep living to like kill himself or not kill himself, it becomes a very important act. You know, it's an act of desperation sometimes that we get led to, whether it's to go to our psychiatrist and get diagnosed and get some severe medication that's going to change the physiology of our brain for the next five to six years. And then we're going to go through withdrawal just to get off that medication, or we're going to find a community that has an understanding of what, what can be done, you know, what can be changed within our own selves under our own cognition and under our own choices with something that's natural, you know? And like when I had the experiences I did and I've had proceeding experiences since then, um, there's nothing in my life that feels more purposeful or that I'd rather be doing. And for the people who are in this, in this industry for the right reasons, you're going to hear that time and time again. You know, once you're in this and once you really understand what the hell is going on and like how this can be helpful for people, um, then it's, it's hard to give that up. It's hard to like to go back to a world and go back to an understanding that you don't where you don't know these things. You know what I mean? Like where you don't know that just doing this one time. It's not going to cure your depression, but it's going to add context, mm. right? Like it hardly, hardly is ever going to just cure something. But what it might do is it's like trying to get your truck out of, you know, the the wilderness. It's like stuck somewhere, you know? If you had one more brick or if you had one more log to get that tire over that hump, you might get a little bit further down. Traction. You know, you might get out. Yeah. You get a little bit more traction in your life, you know? And that's what this is. And and the danger though is that some of the experiences that you can have on the on this can lead towards you feeling like you have schizophrenia, like it can have, it can exacerbate mental illness. It can, um, there's a lot of dangers that, you know, I don't want to leave people just with being scared, but I just want people to understand that like, that's why community, this has to be a community oriented event across the nation. Mm -hmm. Like as this stuff gets rolled out, we have to be able to support the people who are investigating this for the first time. Um, with trip sitters, with people who can preface this experience and can also offer accountability and effective medicine as well. Yeah, I think that's one thing we didn't talk about really was possible negative impacts. So I think that's yeah. important to note that, yeah, they, they, there needs more research, right? There need more research needs to be done and, and on people's personal situations and their personal state of minds before they, you know, 
people are, are taking it from a pharmacy or something like that. They, there need, obviously needs to be more more studies done. Um, yeah. Lastly, I just want to, as we're wrapping up, um, what do you think of like Paul Stamets? And it, it, I'm sure you know who he is and the uh, um, ideas that mushrooms are intelligent and they can communicate with the planet and potentially us. And it's sort of like they have their own internet network. It's just fascinating. Something I, I, not super familiar with, but it's just the concept of it um, is is really crazy. And the fact that they were um, around like way, way before plants even, and and just their ability to to grow and to talk to each other across the country or the world. Yeah, yeah I mean, they have their own kingdom, right? Like yeah. the fungi have their whole own kingdom in our uh, in the taxonomy of things. So, uh, I. I'm very much on board with that. I think that anybody who gets really into this uh, and you start growing and you start networking, you start doing a lot of these things, your life gets a little weird. You know, like things, people start coming into your life that you never would have expected. Like there's a lot of serendipitous type events and there's just a lot of growth around this, you know, and um, you can read into it however you want. I'm not like... I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm also not someone that's going to push an ideology on you. And uh, at the end of the day, I would say that be open to it, you know, like be open to the idea that these things have more to teach us, you know, and whether you want to contextualize it as them being intelligent and talking to you or not, I, I can't say for sure one way or the other, but I do know that like, if I feel like I need to say, like when I'm, dosing myself or I'm on a mushroom trip or something like that. I'll talk to myself. I'll do whatever I feel like is the most natural thing I need to be doing in that moment to participate in my trip, you know? So I don't go into it with a lot of expectations. I don't get go into it with a lot of preconceived notions of what they are or aren't or what they're going to do. And I just every single time try to go into it as if like I'm a child, you know? And so I, that's just a good way, I think, of saying that. Sure, they could be. It could be that. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we can research. And I think it's such a beautiful place to just be creative and to be open to new ways of thinking. That if you feel like they're talking to you and they're driving things in your life, then they probably are. <laughs> so when you started getting into this, um, and there were, you were saying serendipitous things were happening to you, almost like the mushrooms were like an antenna bringing you these people and these these things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Like, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when you. I, just to compare it to other times in my life where things just seem so difficult, and I'm just working like like uh uphill on everything that i'm doing um th this is a very a very different experience extremely different experience there's just it's a very dynamic industry and it does feel that way sometimes i mean just really really weird situations where i'm like mushrooms man i don't know what else to tell you you know i mean just random ass people coming through and they're like oh we have a property in panama we're not even using do you want to host retreats there and i'm like uh sure who are you again like i i don't know yeah i mean i don't know people are so passionate about this and people who who actually understand it or even are beginning to understand it it becomes a philanthropic cause so regardless of whether it was the mushrooms or not 
it could also just be seen as like people want to give a fuck. They care about, we care about each other. And when we see something that could be useful for other humans and useful for their mental health, and we already all understand how tough life can be, you may have a good day. It may sound like we're having a good day right now because we're talking with each other and either one of us could leave this and be like, you know what? I'm still depressed and my life is terrible and everyone sees me as this way, but it's not right. Like, and we have to understand that like people's lives are just like that. You know, we don't really know what's going on in people's lives and um, why not help an organization like mine or your neighbor, you know, find out a way to grow their own medicine and uh, help more people learn about this. You know what I mean? Like it's not hurting anybody. And the more people that know about it, the more people that, come into this web of mycelium and mushrooms and craziness, I, I think the better, man. I mean, I really do with everything that's gone on this year. I can't do this. Like this year is like something else, bro. So yeah. Um, so for people that want to learn more, denvermycology.org is the website. Yeah. And uh, do you have anything coming up that, uh, or, or where do you see the organization headed in the next, however long what's, what's next? Yeah. So currently, uh, we've moved into a new spot here in Denver, uh, within the next six months, we'll probably purchase a bigger property. Um, but we kind of have a smaller spot here. We're doing some mycology mentorship activities where people will come through and shadow me and like learn a little bit about cultivation. Um, our Instagram is probably the primary place that we stay active and engaged. I haven't figured out TikTok or anything else. Uh, if you're a whiz, hit a brother up. Uh, I happen to be 30 years old now and I didn't even know what TikTok was until a few weeks ago. And I don't know. Yeah. Still very confused by it. But uh, anyways, yeah, we we got a lot going on. Um, we've been in a big point of transition and we've gone from like having just me running this to having five or six people on our team volunteers kind of helping with different things out. And, um, if you're interested in getting involved, just direct message me on Instagram, or you can contact us through our website, uh, Chris at denvermycology.org. And, um, yeah, mush on. <laughs> hey, I know you're moving. Thank you again. This was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, man, all the best. Good talking to you. It was really good talking to you, brother. I really, uh, good luck with your podcast Thank and you. I'm excited to see the final cut. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit you up when it, com- when it drops. Dope, brother. Have a good day. Yeah, you too, man. All right, peace. Bye. Peace out, Transmodians.